we are in John chapter 15 in our Bible study time. Grab your Bibles or fire up that um, Journey Church International app or maybe fire up your Bible app, however you follow along. If you're pretty brand new to church, like first time ever in a church, uh, everything we read from Scripture will be on the screen, so it'll be super easy to follow along. If you see a verse that you really like and you want to remember, you might pull out your phone and take a picture of it on the screen. Um, pull out your notes from your bulletin so you can take notes. We're in the third week of a series in John chapter 15 called Thrive, where we are this month at Journey for the year trying to learn how to thrive spiritually. Listen, it is not God's goal for you to get to the end of every year and to take a deep breath and, and to think, man, thank God I made it through another year. There's nothing that Jesus gives you that is just enough to make it through another year. Jesus said, I have come to give you life to the fullest. I've come to give you life that is abundant. I want you to get to the end of every year and think, not thank God I made it through another one, but God, I can't wait to go through another one because of who you have been showing me you are. Our goal is to thrive spiritually. And John chapter 15 has been our textbook that's kind of teaching us how to do that. We're learning about a Greek word, minnow. Um, not like the fish, you would spell it in the Greek, M-E-N-O. And it literally means to live inside of or to make your home in. We learned in the first week of this series to minnow in Jesus, to live inside of a relationship with Jesus, very specifically by learning to spend time with him every day. We learned last week how to minnow in Jesus by living in spiritual community, by having Christian brothers and sisters around us, not so we can get to the point where we can walk with Jesus without needing any help, but so that when we get there, we pull a few others along with us and teach them to experience the same thing. Today, we're going to learn how to minnow Remain in a relationship with Jesus through prayer. Our text will be John 15, 5 through 8. We'll read through it over and over and over and over again. Here's what it's going to say. It says in verse 5 of John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we've said every week of this series, we can't teach through anything in John 15 until we talk to John 15, because we're in the middle of a conversation that began in John 13, in the upper room of Jesus and his disciples having the Last Supper. At that Last Supper, Jesus started a conversation that went something like this. I am getting ready to leave to go back to heaven. I'll go through the cross, the tomb, the resurrection, but eventually I'm going to my Father. While I'm there, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm either going to come back to get you so you might be where I am, or you will leave this earth, and you'll come to be where I am. But my goal is to be with the Father so that you, me, and the Father can eventually all be together for eternity. He knew the disciples would live in a window of between when he went to heaven and when he came back or they went to heaven. So the entire text of John 13 through 17 is teaching them how to live every day in a relationship with him even though they're on earth and he is in heaven. If you were a follower of Jesus, we are still living in this exact same window. We are living in a window of time between the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and the return of Jesus at the end of the book of Revelation. And either we are going to go be with Jesus or Jesus is going to come be with us at some point. But between now and then, Jesus says, I'd like to have a thriving spiritual relationship with you. And that's what we have been learning about. As a matter of fact, we've learned that John 15 gives us five primary areas. If you take out this Thrive graphic that we put in your bulletin every week, John 15 says there are five 
kind of main arteries where Jesus beats in our spiritual heart to impact our life. I gave you this sheet every week in December and asked you to evaluate these areas in 2022 so that you can make some goals to get better in 2023. What are the areas? Daily time with God, check, we talked about that one. Spiritual community, check, we talked about that one. Prayer and fasting will be today. Serving others will be next week. Generosity will be February 5. What we've realized is if we are going to thrive spiritually, no matter what our life experiences are, it will only be because Jesus and the life of Jesus is flowing into our life through these arteries. But please understand this. When Satan wants you to have a spiritual heart attack, or let me say it another way, when Satan wants you to have a hard heart spiritually, he's going to work to hard in these five arteries because he knows if Jesus doesn't flow through these arteries to impact all of your life, your life will flow through these arteries to harden your heart towards Jesus. So every day this week, either Jesus has been impacting your life through these areas or life has been impacting how your heart feels about Jesus through these areas. These are areas where we have to fight very intentionally to stay alive spiritually. We've talked about two of them. Today we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. And I want you to read now these same four verses again through the lens of what is Jesus telling us about how praying can help us thrive spiritually. Look at what he says again. If you didn't catch it last time, you will this time. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you there. See, Jesus is beginning to now teach us about prayer. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we're going to learn three things in these four verses about how prayer and fasting can help us thrive spiritually. And my hope today is that you'll never think about prayer the same. My hope today is that by the time you get done learning, that every time you say amen, you may look at both your prayer time and walking away from your prayer time differently. What are we going to learn today from Jesus? Number one, we're going to learn that prayer helps us to focus on God receiving glory from our lives. You might actually say we're going to learn that the primary role of prayer in our lives is to help remind us where God is in our life and what God is trying to do to receive glory from our life. Say, Christian, where do you get this? Look at verse 5 and verse 8. We ask a question that you would ask if we were doing an inductive Bible study, and the answer to that question is going to teach us a lot about prayer. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Circle those two words, much fruit, or highlight them on your device. In verse 8, Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Circle those two words, much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. If we were doing inductive Bible study, we would stop and say, what is much fruit? Because Jesus says, if I stay close to him, I'll have much fruit. And then he said, God's will for my life is that I have much fruit. So the key question we would ask in inductive Bible study is, what's much fruit? What does Jesus mean by much fruit? And because we have five chapters of conversation we know exactly what Jesus means by much fruit. Becca Albert, I just saw you sitting down there. Welcome back to the house for the first time in a long time. Holy cow, like that's the ADD in me. Um, the boys are good. You're good. It's so good to see you. This is our student ministry director who had twins in December. And I think, is this your first Sunday back? Welcome. Um, I don't want to point you out so no one will talk to you. But I'm like, I'm really glad that you're here. Where are we? Um, okay, key question. 
What does Jesus mean by much fruit? Answer. Here's the answer. He tells us because we got this big conversation. Our fruit are the evidences and the works of our lives that bring glory to God through our relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, here's what I want for you. If you stay close to me, you're going to have much fruit. God's plan for your life is to have much fruit. We're like, what's, what's much fruit? And Jesus is like, it's the, it's the things in your life that give evidences that I'm in your life. It's the works in your life that give evidences that I'm in your life, and they show people who Jesus is. Jesus says your fruit are the things in your life that show people who God is. But watch this closely. Your fruit are the things in your life that show people who God is. But in order for your fruit to show the right things about who God is, you have to learn to pray. Like your life is always telling a story about who you believe God is. Jesus says for you to tell the right story about who God is, you're going to have to learn to pray. So we walk into John chapter 14, and Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. I'm going away to the Father, going to prepare a place for you, going to come back and get you so that where I am, you can be too, because I want you to be with the Father. Philip, one of his disciples, says, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough. Like, just show us where he is, and we won't have to do all this nonsense of you going and coming. Like, we'll just know how to get there. And Jesus says, Philip, if you've seen me, watch, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But more than that, once you've seen the Father, you actually get to show him to other people. Phil's like, show us how to get to the Father. And Jesus is like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Which means you know how to show other people the Father. So you should pray about that. Look at John chapter 14. We're studying John 15, but we'll spend most of our time in John 14. Jesus says in John 14, 11, believe me. He's talking to Philip. When I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Or at least believe on the evidence. There's that word evidence. Circle it. Right? We said works are the evidence. On the evidence of the works. Circle evidence. Circle works themselves. These are things that prove spiritual things. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works. Circle there's those words again. The works. That I've been doing and they will do even greater things. Circle those two words. Greater things. You're going to do great works. You're going to give great evidence of who I am. You're going to do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father... Circle the word so that. I'm going to answer your prayer for this reason, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You can ask me for anything. Let me put it in context. You can ask me for anything that will show the world who God is through your life. You can pray about anything that will show people who I am through what you're going through. And I'm going to give that to you. Ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. You know, a couple years ago, a fake wide receiver who played for the Cardinals Screamed into a telephone to a fake sports agent named Jerry Maguire. Um, show me the... Yeah, I didn't see the movie either because Christians shouldn't, but I heard about it. Um, and if you, can, if you can think about that scene, it's a little bit of the conversation going on today between the disciples and Jesus. Philip is saying, show us the Father. Like Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. I want you to go to the Father. And Philip's like, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, Philip, like... You already, like, if you've seen me, you've seen him. And because you've seen him, you can now show him to others. If you will learn to pray about that. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you've seen him, you can show him to the world if you will learn to pray about that. So watch closely here. The purpose of prayer is not primarily for your glory or for your gain. Prayer is actually not about you. Prayer isn't technically to have anything done for you. Jesus, in the context of John 14 and 15, is saying prayer 
will help you see where God is in your life. And then once you figure that out, you're going to figure out how you can show people God in your life. You see, but that's not what John 15, 7 says. Well, it says it in context. We just have to read the way, we have to read it the way Jesus meant it. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Somebody say, ask. Here's what Jesus was saying. If you will ask God to show you where he is in this season of your life, if you will ask God to show you that he's going to stay with you in this season of your life, not only will you see where God is in your life, but you will understand where others can see God through your situation. If you will ask about those things every time, I will show you where God is, I will show you what God can be doing, and I'll show you how this season in your life can show the world evidences of who I am. Augustine was a church father. He was one of the great theologians of the early church history. Um, He was probably the great theologian of the early 300s. There was a preacher, pastor named John Chrysostom, who was kind of the great preacher of the time. And they were both friends with a woman named Anicia Proba. She would write letters to him, and they would write letters back to her. Some of the greatest theological information, some of the greatest sermon, sermon information we have from the years 350 to 450 are in letters between Augustine and Chrysostom to, to this woman who was asking him questions about her faith journey. In one letter, she wrote a letter to Augustine asking him if she was praying correctly because she was afraid that she was praying wrong. And he wrote her back a letter that became his longest and most complete treatise on prayer. Like he wrote books and books and books of theology. But really he only wrote one thing specifically on prayer. It was a letter to a woman asking him, how do I pray correctly? And we learned so much about the theology of prayer from it. He said the first step of prayer is not how you pray. It's who you are. And he said, prayer will never really begin to work for you until you believe that you are desolate In the world without Jesus. Until you believe that you can't do it without Jesus, prayer can never work for you. Until you believe you can't find peace and joy and happiness, until you believe it's not possible to find fulfillment without Jesus, you won't even be in a posture to pray. But once you're convinced that you cannot do it on your own, now you are ready to talk to God. And he said, while you can pray for things that make you happy, and most do, Those things will go away and you eventually will not be happy. He said, eventually you'll get to the place where you will pray the only prayer that will bring you fulfillment. Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this one thing do I seek that I may dwell in the house all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Augustine said, your prayer should be that you can see God in your situation. Once you've come to the point that you realize you cannot be fulfilled without God, you're ready to pray. And once you begin to pray, God, where are you in this situation? You have learned how to approach God in prayer. Augustine would go on to say the most elementary way to pray is basically worrying towards God. The most mature way to pray is worshiping towards God. You say, what's the difference? One of those prayer lines is filled with you, and one of those prayer lines is filled with God. Now, believe it or not, Scripture tells us it's okay to worry towards God. 
that is a form of prayer. It's an elementary form of prayer, but Jesus, uh, Paul would say, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. So you should absolutely, and we'll talk this week in our week of prayer, you should absolutely take all the things you're worry, worrying about and give them to God. That is a form of prayer, but it's the most base form of prayer. That my prayer really revolves around my life and what's going on in my life. The most mature form of prayer is when I pray, my life revolves around who God is and what God is doing. I'm just worshiping towards God. And here's one of the reasons why worshiping is a mature way to pray. Think about worrying towards God. I'm going to tell you something maybe you've never thought of, but you know it's true. Do you know that there's nothing God doesn't know about you? So when you get on your knees and say, God, here's what's going on today. He never once, once has thought, man, I'm so glad you told me that. Um, like I wasn't aware of that. God, here's how I'm feeling today. I would have never known that by the expression you had on your face. Um, God, here's what's coming up next week. So glad you told me that. I hadn't even looked ahead at next Tuesday yet. Like, there's nothing you will ever tell God that will surprise God. So really, we don't need to worry towards God because all we're doing is telling God what he already knows. Instead, we worship towards God, which is basically telling God we know who he is and asking to see his face in the midst of our situation so that he can show us that he's there, so that he can show us that he's going to remain, and so that as a result of that, he can show us where our life is supposed to give evidence of who God is in our life. And you might write this down. It's not in your notes, but here's the reality. Your hardest season gives you the greatest evidences for your faith. The hardest things you go through actually give the world the greatest evidence that you have faith. Two weeks ago, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, and we just talked about how we wished everyone in our life had those love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We said our world would be better if our boss had the fruit of the Spirit. We said our world would be better if our spouse had the fruit of the Spirit. We said our world would be better if our manager had the fruit of the Spirit. We said our world would be better if our employees had the fruit of the Spirit. We said our world would be better if our teammates and our players and our coaches had the fruit of the Spirit. We said our world would be way better if our kids had the fruit of the Spirit. We said our world would be better if everyone had the fruit of the Spirit. You want to know what? It's real. The vast majority of people have the fruit of the Spirit on, the good, on their good days. Christians and non-Christians. Like everybody exhibits a lot of life and joy on their good days. You know who experienced, for the most part, the fruit of the Spirit on their wedding day? Everybody. It's a good day. You feel lots of good things. You know who experiences it at funerals? Christians. You know who experiences the fruit of the joy on the day they get hired or the day they get promoted or the day they get the big raise? Everybody, Christians and non-Christians. It feels good. You know who experiences the fruit of the Spirit on the days they get fired or they don't get the raise or they get a demotion? Christians. You know who experiences the fruit of the Spirit after they win a game? Everyone on the winning team, Christians and non-Christians. Because winning is fun. You know who experiences it after you lose? Christians. Like Jesus said, you've seen God because you've seen Jesus. And now you have the opportunity to help the whole world see Jesus. But you have to take your situation to God and say, God, are you still in this one, even the hard one? God, how do you want me to use this one to show the world who you are? And I love what Pastor Tim Keller, who pastored for 50 years in New York City, says about prayer. He said, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. When God has really come to the conclusion that your life is not about you, that it's about him, he feels really free to give you whatever you most desire. 
But as long as your life is mostly about you and mostly about the good times and mostly about what God is giving you, he's got to withhold it. But as soon as life becomes about who God is rather than what God has, it makes it really easy for God to begin to give you the things that you most desire. It's a really powerful quote. So why do we pray? Prayer focuses us and reminds us that our life is all about God's glory. Number two, prayer gives us intimacy with God. Prayer is proof that we have intimacy with God. Look at verse 7 again. We see this word remain in the English, minnow in the Greek. If you remain minnow in me and my words remain minnow in you. Watch this. Jesus says, if you pursue me by keeping me and my word at the center of your life, you're going to pray. It's not if, it's when. If you have a relationship with me, we're going to talk because people in relationship talk. So if you have a relationship with me and I'm talking to you through the word, you're going to talk back through prayer. You're going to ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So one of the ways you're going to know whether or not you have intimacy with God is whether or not you pray. Because when you pray, it gives you intimacy with God. Uh, For those of you looking for just a little more information on prayer, this book by Tim Keller that I just pulled that quote from is one of my favorite books on prayer that I've ever read. Um, It is practically extremely helpful in talking about the prayer habits of the early church all the way up to today. And it's also got enough rich theology that it really challenges our prayer life and helping us see Jesus in the right way. But let me read you the first sentence of the book. Okay, page one, sentence one. Tim Keller, pastored in New York City for nearly 50 years. Page one, sentence one. In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer because I had to. That's how most people discover prayer. Something happens and there is no answer on this side of eternity. In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer because I had to. He goes on to say that in the fall of 1999, he taught his church a series in the book of Psalms, and as he read through the Psalms, he realized there was an intimacy and depth of relationship that the psalmist had in prayer that he did not have. Soon after that, 9-11 would happen and would literally reorder the world of everyone who lived in New York City. Soon after that, his wife would be um, diagnosed with debilitating Crohn's disease. Soon after that, he would develop thyroid cancer. And he said those three things back to back to back, they didn't teach him to pray as much as they made him pray because he didn't have any answers. And by learning to pray, he learned to develop an intimacy with God. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Let's look at verse 15 as we pick up what Jesus is teaching us about prayer. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And then he says in verse 20, on that day, circle the two words that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. What day? On the day I get to heaven, I'm going to realize that I'm with God and God's with me? Like on what day? Like day 10 of heaven? Day like, what, what day do I finally realize I'm with God and he's with me? 1420, on that day. On what day? Here's how I would summarize what we just read. On the day that you pray, you're going to realize you're intimately connected to God the Father, through God the Son, with the help of God the Holy Spirit. Jesus says on the day, not when you get to heaven, on the day 
you pray, you're going to realize how intimately connected to God you are. Verse 20, on that day, you're going to realize, I'm with God, you're with me, I'm with you. How do we know what specific day that is? Verse 13 and 14. I'm going to do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. On the day you ask in prayer to see where I am in your life so that Jesus can be glorified in your life, on that day, you're going to be really, really close to God. Think about it this way. Last week we learned about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We learned they exist in this tri-unity of eternal love, eternal relationship, eternal um, submission, eternal service to one another. Like, like they exist in this eternal spiritual community. When you pray, you do not become the fourth member of the Trinity, but they have a fourth chair at their table. And when you pray, you get to sit right down in the midst of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When's the last time when you were praying, you stopped to look around to see who was sitting, seated at the table with you? Jesus said, when you pray, you're going to realize I'm with the Father, you're with me, the Holy Spirit is in you. Like when you pray, Jesus says, time out, stop. When you pray, look around. Do you see where you are? You have joined this great triunity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like when you pray, it's not two, it's four. And there you are in the midst of who this eternal God is loving and serving and pursuing one another. It's a really powerful picture. Before my kids were born, I played golf way too much, probably daily if I could. I never didn't have my clubs in the back of my car. I was always at the end of the work day trying to get away for nine somewhere if I could to just go play golf. When I had kids, kind of my, my life changed and I don't play golf hardly ever. Um, definitely not like that anymore. But what I wanted to do usually at the end of a long day was get out on a golf course and walk nine holes by myself, just have like two hours to clear my head. I hated going to a golf course to try to play nine holes by myself, and they put me with someone else, or they put me with three someone else's that I didn't know. That, if you've never played golf, is kind of a miserable world to live in. When you show up at the course by yourself, they're like, hey, we got a spot for you. You're going to be with these three guys. You just think, oh, that's going to be miserable. The only hope you can have is that you're going to beat them all and you'll be able to enjoy yourself just a little bit. But it, like, it stinks to be with three people. So if you can picture yourself joining the makeateatime.com world where they guarantee you like to get on a course anytime you need to get on a course. And on a Thursday afternoon at 1.30, your work shuts down for the day. You don't have to be home till 6. You got your clubs in your car and you think, I'm going to go grab a round real quick. And you call up to makeateatime.com and you're like, hey, like just me, I just got a couple hours. Is there any place you can get me on on a course? And the guy says, yeah, I got a group of three that needs a fourth. I can put you with them. And you're like, oh, man. Okay. Um, yeah, put me in. And like, all right, get to the airport as fast as you can. We got a jet waiting for you. It's like, what do you mean you got a jet waiting for us? Well, the round is at Augusta, Georgia. And your threesome is Bobby Jones, Jack Nicholas, and Tiger Woods. Can you make it? <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah, I can make it. If you got to play a round of golf at Augusta National with Bobby Jones, Jack Nicholas, and Tiger Woods, do you think you would be focused more on you or them? Do you think you would come home talking to your friends about a putt you made or about conversation you got to overhear? Do you think that experience would make you think more of yourself or less of yourself and more of them or less of them? Like too often we show up to pray and the entire time we're thinking about our game rather than who we're with. And we finish prayer 
And we talk about the shank we had on 15 or the putt that lipped out on 17. Instead of talking about who we were spending time with, Jesus is like, on the day you pray, wake up. You are suddenly seated at the table with the eternal trinity of God. I'm there. God the Father's there. God the Holy Spirit is facilitating it. Like, look around because when you pray, you get to realize you've been invited to the seat at the table that everyone in the world would want to sit at. And man, enjoy the view. Like, you got to understand when prayer begins to shift from wanting something from God to being with God, you've begun to grow in spiritual intimacy. When you leave a week of prayer, like many of you will, and you begin to talk about all the prayer requests that maybe weren't answered, what you're showing is I got to play the greatest round of golf with the greatest golfers ever, and all I can really dwell on is you know that, that hook I hit on 12 into the water. It's like, that's all you can remember from around the golf with Bobby Jones, Jack Nicholas, and Tiger Woods? When you leave a week of prayer and you think, my gosh, I just spent six hours this week with the tr- hanging out with the Trinity, it begins to change how you view spiritual intimacy. See, when you pray, you literally spend time with the God of heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who facilitates it all. We'll teach a little bit more about the Trinity and prayer on Thursday. But just know that prayer gives you intimacy with God. And then number three, we learn that prayer and fasting, I'm just going to touch on this lightly today. Prayer and fasting are going to help us remember the big picture and the final position of our faith. Prayer and fasting are going to help us remember the big picture and the final position of our faith. We're going to look at what I believe is a verse that's often taken out of context. We're going to put it in the right context. And we're going to see why it's so important that we pray. John 15, 6 says, if you do not remain in me, You're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. You're like, whoa. Is Jesus saying that, like, if I don't pray, I'm going to hell? It's not what that means at all. That would be a terrible context to try to put that verse in because Jesus isn't even talking about, like, evangelism in this verse. He's talking to disciples who he's already told are going to be in heaven with him one day. And it's like, what what could this possibly mean then? Jesus literally is quoting an Old Testament passage about the use of a vine and the branches once they're disconnected from each other. Let me say it this way to put it in an illustration that some of you um, will understand more easily. How many of you live in a house that, more, that most likely um, is held together by wooden two-by-fours, wooden studs? Most, most of us, wood house, maybe some of you stone or brick. Um, how many of you have um, hardwood floors any, anywhere in your house? Hardwood floors. How many of you have a kitchen table or any furniture made of wood? Okay, here's what you need to know about all that. None of that is made um, from the branches of grapevines because that wood is useless for anything except to, like, make grapes. And that's what Jesus is saying in John 15, 6. There was an Old Testament prophet named Ezekiel, and in Ezekiel chapter 15, he was talking to the people of Israel about how useless their faith had become because they had not stayed connected to the God of Israel. And in Ezekiel 15, and often rabbis in the days of Jesus would quote Old Testament verses and analogies to see how well people knew Old Testament scripture. Jesus is no doubt in John 15, 6, quoting Ezekiel 15, 1 through 4. Ezekiel gives this prophecy, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, how's the wood of a vine different from a branch from any of the trees in the forest? Then he answers the question, is wood ever taken from it to make anything useful? Do they make pegs from it to hang things on? 
And after it's thrown on the fire as fuel and the fire burns both ends and charged the middle, is it then useful for anything? Ezekiel said, hey, how's the vine different from wood on a tree? Like you can cut a tree down and the tree's dead, but you can still do lots of stuff with that wood. You can build a house. You can put floors in your kitchen. You can make a kitchen table. You could make little pegs that you hang your coat on. You could do lots of things with dead wood, but not vines. You take a vine that's attached to like the trellis of, of a grapevine and you tear it off, there literally is nothing you can do with that vine. What Ezekiel is saying is branches of the vine are useless unless they stay connected to the vine. And that's the picture of Christian discipleship that Jesus is giving us. Your discipleship journey will be useless if you do not stay connected to Jesus. He's not saying you'll go to hell. He's just saying you'll be like a useless spiritual object in the world if you don't stay connected to Jesus. There's lots of things that can die and still be useful. Christians are not some of those things. If you wither up spiritually, you're not good for anybody else. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter's talking to the New Testament church, and he's saying, like, from your salvation, you need to continue to add to your faith things that will grow your Christian character. And he said, the reason you need to keep growing in 2 Peter 1.8, he says, if growth is yours in increasing measure, he said, it'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of who Jesus is. There are Christians who have come alive spiritually, but because they're not connected in daily life with Jesus... They're just not very effective. And honestly, they're terribly unproductive. Some of you know people who more than likely at one point in their past gave their life to Jesus, but they are so far from God right now. They, they not only are ineffective, they're probably anti-effective. They're turning people off to Christianity. And they're not only not productive, they are counterproductive to the mission of Jesus. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Like, if you remain in me, you're going to flourish spiritually. If you don't, Christianity doesn't even work not connected to Jesus. That's what he's saying. If you try to live your Christian faith without any connection to me through, like, your daily time with God, without any connection to me through spiritual community, without any connection to me through prayer, it's just not going to work. Christian faith does not work that way. So he says, remember the big picture and the final position of faith. What's the big picture of faith? Here's what Jesus teaches us in John 15. We are entirely dependent on God for, spirit, for the spiritual life that we want to live inside of us. That's what John 15, 6 means. You want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like you want all the things that God has for you. John 15, 6 says, without staying close to Jesus, you're not going to get any of those. So the big picture of faith is we are totally dependent on our connection to the vine, on our connection to God, to have the life that we believe we should have as followers of Jesus. This is why the reminder of the big picture was why the early church and the people of Old Testament Judaism fasted. What is fasting? For those of you pretty brand new to the church, it's a spiritual principle. It's a practice of denying yourself sources of strength and comfort. In the Bible, it was always food and water. It's denying yourself sources of strength and comfort as a reminder of how entirely dependent we are upon God for spiritual life. Fasting would work through the triggers of what you miss. 
So Jesus did a 40-day fast in the wilderness. Moses did a 40-day fast on Sinai. We see in other places in Scripture where the Sadducees and the Pharisees of the New Testament of Jesus' day would fast every Monday and Thursday. Those were the market days where everybody would come and buy their food in the city and take them back out to the villages. The Pharisees would fast on those days to try to make a big show out of how much more spiritual they were than everyone else who was like grocery shopping for the week. But fasting would do this. Fasting would take this source of strength or comfort and it would remove it from you. And fasting would make you feel weak in an area of your life that became a trigger to remind you that you were weak in the spiritual areas of your life without who God is. One of the things we're going to ask our church to pray about in 2023 is the first Wednesday of every month doing a sunup to sundown fast, no food, Or perhaps you'll fast from other things in that moment, sources of strength and comfort, to remind yourself the first Wednesday of every month of how dependent you are on Jesus. And here's how the trigger of fasting works for those of you who would go without food, sun up to sundown. At some point during the day, your stomach's going to growl and it's going to say, hey, like we need food today really bad, we're really hungry. Our stomach is going to remind us that our soul is continually growling and say, if I don't get some of Jesus, I'm going to starve today. If I don't get a drink of the living water, I'm going to starve today. If I don't get a bite of the bread of life, I'm going to starve today. Like the dependency that our body kicks into our mind is going to remind us of the dependency that our soul has without Jesus. And it's just going to create this space that helps us remember to depend on Jesus. We'll talk far more about that in our week of prayer. I'll talk about it just a little more and how that will work in our church in this message. But we're going to challenge you to consider fasting withdrawing from a source of strength or comfort the first Wednesday of every month, sun up to sundown. Which means for some of you, you're going to eat really, really breakfast before the sun comes up. And then you're going to hope that keeps you full all the way till the sun goes down. And then you're going to have like your, whatever your snack is ready on hand as soon as that sun sets. But you're going to give Jesus a day to remind you how weak you are without him in your life. It's a great spiritual discipline for people who want to lean into Jesus. That is the big picture of faith. But let's also remember the final position of faith. Big picture of our faith, we're hopeless without Jesus. Final position of our faith, we're hopeful because we have Jesus. We have complete access to the God of heaven through our relationship with Jesus and through our practice of prayer. Complete access to the God of heaven through our relationship with Jesus and our practice of prayer. So in John 14, Jesus says, if you pray, you'll learn to see God. If you pray, you'll learn how others can see God in you. But then he says... If you pray, you're going to feel close to God. That's one of the reasons you do it. If you pray, you're going to feel close to God. 1427, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father's greater than I am. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. Say, what's it look like to thrive spiritually? Just look at some of these words. First word of verse 27, it's peaceful. What's it look like to thrive spiritually? I have peace in every circumstance of life. Look at the last word of verse 27. What's it look like to thrive spiritually? I'm not afraid. When the hard days come, and they will. When the hard seasons come, and they will. When the difficult times arrive, and they will. I'm not afraid. I know where Jesus is. I know he's going to use it in my life. What does it look like to thrive spiritually? Look halfway through Verse 28, you're going to be glad. You're going to live in this state of spiritual gladness. You're going to be joyful about how God is using your story and your season. 
What does it look like to thrive spiritually? Look at the end of verse 28. You're going to see God do great things through your life, through your story, through the things you're going through. What does it look like to thrive spiritually? Look at the last three words of verse 29. You will believe that God is in your story and that he's going to remain there. That's what it looks like to thrive spiritually. We cannot do that without the action of prayer. Abiding is action. Jesus said, remain in me. How? Remain in my word. Okay, that's action. I'm going to do something. Jesus said, remain in me. How? Love people like I loved you. Okay, that's action. Jesus said, remain in me. How? You got to pray. That's action. Abiding is action. You can't just sit back and expect your faith journey to just keep coming to you. Jesus says, act upon things to engage with me. As we close today, I want to give you the same two challenges that I opened with in my prayer moment as we finished our worship time today. Two prayer challenges for 2023. We can write down what we've already discussed. Number one, I want to challenge you to deepen and expand your devoted time that you spend with God through prayer this year, just by minutes. Deepen and expand by a couple minutes a day your devoted time with God by learning to pray. Now, I want you to watch what happened, and I want to just give you an experience that I walked through last year with one of the men in our church. Some of you have already deepened and expanded your time with God because you're reading through the Bible this year on our Bible reading plan. You're doing better than you've ever been done before. Keep it up. Good job. We're proud of you. We're with you. Nearly a thousand people trying to read their Bible through together this year. Last year, as I beta tested this with one of our groups in one of our first meetings, one of the men in our group, when we just talked about how like our faith walk was going, said, I've been reading and learning more than I've ever learned before, but in the first few weeks, I felt really distant from God. Like, what's going on? And he said, my daughter helped me see that I had spent so much time reading the Bible that I had allowed that time to take up all my prayer time. And I had really dug into the word, but I'd quit having my prayer time and I just didn't feel the intimacy anymore. It's like, yeah, you can't just read your Bible. Jesus said, you got to talk, talk back. It's a, it's a conversation. It's a dialogue. So we're going to challenge you to deepen and expand your time with God by minutes. It starts this week in our week of prayer. As you're dismissed today at our Connection Center, we've got our prayer journal printed. It's a really great prayer journal. I think the best one we've ever done. This prayer journal, believe it or not, takes you all the way through 2023, every week of 2023. Our winter week of prayer, our fall week of prayer, all of our first Wednesday prayer services that I'll tell you about in just a second. If you're planning to go through our week of prayer with us this week, either here or online, 6 to 7 a.m. here and online, Saturday 9 to 10 a.m., we'll have breakfast afterwards on Saturday. Grab this before you leave. Bring it with you tomorrow morning. Grab it. Get ready to follow along at home. Here's what I'm going to ask you this year. We put a lot of time and money and effort into these. Don't grab a stack of 10 and just pass them out to all your friends this year. We really need to try to keep this product for people who are going to be engaged with this in our church. So grab this before you go from our Connection Center. One of the ways we want to teach you to deepen your devoted time with Jesus by spending minutes with God. It's going to be a great week praying together. Secondly, we're taking that first Wednesday of the month and we're calling it as a church first Wednesdays of prayer and fasting. And we're going to ask those in our church that would be willing to, to fast from sunup to sundown from something that would allow them to really focus on Jesus And then at 6.30 p.m., we will have a church-wide prayer service, just like our hour-long prayer services. We will not have child care February 1 as we work our way through that. If we find out it's absolutely needed, we'll figure it out. We want your elementary kids to come in with you. They will get their own elementary prayer sheet when they come in with you at 6.30. 
It's a short service, two songs, 10-minute devotional, and then you go pray. Our students will be a part of that, and then after prayer, they will have their own small groups. So it'll be kind of just like their regular Wednesday night, except they'll be praying instead of listening to one of our student pastors for that first hour before small groups. But we're going to challenge you, if you can, to give that first Wednesday of the month to total focus on your relationship with Jesus through fasting and through prayer. We believe as a church, these things can be training wheels for your faith walk. They will not be the things that feed your soul, but they will teach you how to feed your soul. And then on your own, you can really begin to live for Jesus. So deepen your devoted time. And then challenge number two, broaden your devoted time by moving from minutes a day to moments throughout the day of just realizing and understanding who God is. What's really interesting in Keller's book is he talks about how in the early church, the early church did not teach Christians to have a set prayer time because they believed that relegated prayer to a space rather than the entire day. So most church fathers taught a minimum of two prayer times, morning and evening. Many of them taught five following the old Jewish schedule. Many of them said you need to have a posture of prayer that's all day long. If you just relegate prayer to 15 minutes in this space, basically you'll live the other 23 hours and 45 minutes not even thinking about God. So we got to make prayer an all-day, everyday thing. Broaden your devoted time with God by just having this consciousness that he's with you, you're with him, and no matter what you're going through, you can pull up a fourth chair to that table of the Trinity and be with the God of the universe through prayer. What's God said to your heart? What steps do you need to take to take that artery of prayer kind of dig out the hardness this year so that your relationship with Jesus can beat through it. We close our service as a journey by asking you some reflection questions. So instead of, you know, just saying a quick prayer and then dismissing, we allow you to just kind of contemplate what you've heard, answer some questions, make some decisions and commitments, and then take some action steps. So I'm going to pray quick. Those reflection questions will be on the screen. Three questions, 60 seconds each. At the end of those, I'll come close us in prayer. And man, we're going to have a great, great, great week of prayer this week at Journey. God, thank you that every time we pray, we get to pull up a fourth chair to the Trinitarian God of the Father, Son, and Spirit. God, help us to learn through prayer to always see where you are in our story and to learn how from that position our lives can give you glory. As we contemplate these questions now, open our hearts to interact with the God of the universe. Come and meet with us. Speak to our hearts. Give us some action steps that will change our lives. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.